everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Entrepreneur Rx. I'm your host, John Schufeld. Joining me this week is Dr. Richard Moore. He is the medical director and owner of the Edge for Men and the Lifestyle Center. Dr. Moore is a pioneer and national speaker for the field of minimally invasive aesthetic procedures, and he's an active member of the American Academy of Cosmetic Surgeons and the International Society of Hair Restoration Surgeons, which sadly I probably need uh, sooner than I want to believe. Dr. Moore, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you on it. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So you've been doing aesthetics. So what we're going to get back, I want to get back to your background too, but you've been doing aesthetics for quite a while before aesthetics was even a thing, it sounds like. Yeah, you know, back in the early 2000s, I think we opened up in 2003, we opened up the Lifestyle Center. And the original intent behind the Lifestyle Center was to be more of a wellness center. I came from the field of being a hospitalist physician where you would see all of the illness and everything of lifestyle choices. And the idea was, let's see if we can open up a center that will have an impact on people's lives in a healthy manner. We were ahead of our time. That model flopped. Either that or we poorly executed, one of the two. But as a part of the original plan, we did have some aesthetic services. And that became the focus of our center after about four to five months when I realized the original model was not going to work. So, okay, so let's back up. So where did you go to medical school at? University of Minnesota. All right, excellent. And then you did internal medicine. I did internal medicine at a private hospital in Minneapolis called Abbott Northwestern. All right. And I actually did a year of neurology as well. I was going to become a neurologist. But before I did all of this, I actually got my master's in international management and worked in the petrochemical field for six years. So I had a fairly extensive business background before getting into all of this. So were you in medical school then in your 30s? I went to medical school. I was... 29, just about 30 when I started medical school. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so business background, internal medicine, hospitalist, and then all of a sudden, what prompted you? Because people are going to hear this and say, okay, that's kind of a big leap. I mean, you know, in the in the emergency medicine aesthetics business, okay, I can I can kind of get it's episodic, you know, we're kind of crazy to begin with. But the internist that's a, that had to be a big leap of faith for some, for some of your colleagues to hear that. Yeah, it, you know, and it was probably a little crazy when I did it, um, but I'm married to a physician as well, and my wife does high-risk obstetrics, and at the time, she had one other partner, and uh, they were doing on-call every other night, every other weekend. Wow. The hospitalist system, and I had become the director of the hospitalist system, and these were the in the infancy of the hospitalist systems. Originally, when we set the program up, if somebody came into the emergency room, VR was nice enough to write the admitting orders for us, and we would see them in the morning unless there was a pressing need. Well, that lasted for a year and a half. We were moving to a system where we were going to take call in-house seven consecutive nights, and then we would have daytime coverage. And that just wasn't compatible with having young children at home. And so I left and did a little bit of day trading, actually, until (laughs) September 1st, 2001. But in that interim, I was making plans for this wellness center, the Lifestyle Center. And we were going to focus on executive physicals and lifestyle choices. We had a dietitian, We had personal trainers. 
And that concept just didn't meld well back in 2003. And so we, uh, I had some aesthetics and, and that became the, I went and talked to a friend of mine who helped people in businesses sell their practices. I was desperate. And he said, you, you got something that isn't worth anything. You've got to change your focus. And so that's what I did. And so, so then we focused in on the, on the aesthetic side of things. So as you go back and do an aesthetics class, because I, I took one way back when on, you know, laser hair removal and injections and stuff. I don't think they even existed back then. You know, back then, all of your training was by the companies that would sell you the equipment, you know, neurotoxins and things like that. There was not training out there back in 2003. And so a lot of that was self-taught by studying and, and watching videos and things until the, the companies came in with their training programs. I, said, I think I did it in 2005, I, I, I want to say. So you started this even really before it was a thing. Did you start with, start with injectables and, and hair removal and photofacials? Uh, we started with uh, photofacials and, and leg veins and uh, laser hair removal and injectables. And the injectables back then were Botox and Restylane. Right. And I think that was about the only thing that was around back then. It was really in the, the early days of, of doing injections. Wow. Okay. So hospitalist, day trading, and then the lifestyle center, which was again, so you went from really the, the disease model of medicine, which is how we're all trained, to the prevention model of medicine, but that did not take off in the Twin Cities. No, I was in St. Louis. Oh, you're St. Louis at that point. That's right. So just, they weren't ready. They weren't ready for prevention, huh? Right. Right. I mean, I think I was just ahead of my time. Yeah. So how did you, how did you grow that business? Uh, because at least where I'm from, at least where I am in Phoenix, Arizona, that's an incredibly competitive business. Yeah. At the time, it wasn't as competitive. And I talked to somebody and they said, and this particular guy sold green tea extract. And he had one product that he would sell the heck out of and then get people to buy additional products. And what he told me is, you really have to focus in on one thing that's going to bring people into your center. So what I focused in on was laser hair removal. And we became the largest laser hair removal provider in St. Louis. And then after that, I began to focus more in on the injectables because that would bring people in. And then over time, body sculpting. We, we started with some of the non-invasive body, early non-invasive body sculpting devices like VelaShape and, and things like that. And, or Vela Smooth, I guess, was where we started. And then uh, somebody sold me a laser called Smart Lipo. I actually learned that I had to learn how to do liposuction when I bought that device. And so I became a very large liposuction provider. I still do liposuction to this day. And so it's just evolved over time. And our greatest emergence now is the non-invasive body sculpting as really caught on with things like cool sculpting or cool sculpting elite, M sculpt, M sculpt neo, things like that have actually cut. You know, it used to be that if you brought those services in, it would increase your liposuction volume. But the technology is catching up such that you can get nearly as good results today or sometimes better results with a non-invasive technology than I could get with an invasive procedure. 
Yeah, I had a cool sculpting machine for probably six years or so. And gosh, it was, you know, I think a hundred thousand dollar machine and you had to pay every time you used it with the little cart they gave yeah. it. But the thing really worked. People loved it. The thing really worked well. And it was kind of weird, but it was genius. I, I thought the thing was excellent. So tell me, when you start a business, you know, one of the things you focus on is your brand. And who was your target customer in St. Louis back in 2003? When I started out in 2003, I hired an agency to help promote me. They put me in the playbill at some of the downtown, you know, theaters and things. And that didn't pan out at all. Eventually, I went to print advertising and radio advertising. Today, we don't do any traditional advertising at all. But in the early days, that was how we got started. And it just, it's grown over time. How did you compete with... You know, I always used to say when I owned urgent care centers, you're only as you're only as good as your dumbest competitor. Because if the person down the street opened up an urgent care and they said, Look, our average net charge to, to you, the managed care organization, the third party payer will be X. And X might be twenty five percent less than we take. And the health plan will call me up and they say, Hey John, you know, the guy down the street, the woman now she said she'll do it for seventy five bucks a visit and your charge is a hundred and I'm making the numbers up. How do you compete with them? Because it was, to me, it was always a race to the bottom. Like, oh, you can do cool sculpting for a thousand. I'll do it for seven fifty. Right. One in in St. Louis, probably in the early days, we didn't have as much competition. What hurt was when the uh, large chains started coming in. The ideal image who comes in and they spend fifty thousand dollars a month in advertising. And we we really what I saw was that it was a race to the bottom on things like laser hair removal. Uh, because of oh, what's Groupon and, and yeah. things like And so we just decided we weren't going to consider it a strategic part of our business as such. We would continue to charge a fair margin. It's a procedure that has its degree of risks, and you didn't want to cheapen the value of that of that product. So we recognized that our volumes would drop in that area. But we were innovative enough in the area of, of non-invasive and invasive body sculpting procedures that we continued to grow despite that. So who was, for in 2003, who was, how did you identify your ideal, your target, your target customer? Our target customer was a bit younger back then because our focus was on laser hair removal. So we were focusing on 20s and 30s back then. For the anti-aging treatments, we would focus on 40s, 50s, up to maybe 60 years of age. And let me ask you another question. This is a little more this is a little more recent. You started the Edge for Men, which yes. is, as I, as I read in this research, it's the restore men's vitality, uh, sexual performance, and overall appearance. So you're doing both now, I suspect, but what, what was the transition point? What, what prompted that? Well, we would have men come into the clinic. And at the time, we were offering procedures like the P-Shot. And, um, they would be sitting out in the lobby and kind of look like, you know, a deer with its eyes in the headlights uh, because they felt a little bit out of place. And right next door was a vacant spot that somebody had started to build out on. And then uh, her husband got transferred and that spot became available. So I said, yeah, what could I do over there? And the idea came along of a center for men that helps them feel better about themselves to the point that they'll want to look better too. So linking hormone replacement therapy, ED, as well as the aesthetic side of services. 
And, and that's worked out well. The hormone replacement therapy is a very, very competitive market. You have to, by offering these ancillary services, we were able to become profitable much quicker. So you do the injectable hormone, the pellets, the hormone replacement pellets? We, we largely do injections instead, the testosterone injections versus the pellets. I'm, when I initially started doing hormone therapy, I thought that pellets would be the way to go. But in men, I think that injectable, weekly injectables are better. The pellets, I, I had them placed once myself. I couldn't sit for 10 days. I was so uncomfortable. And my wife was wanting to know what going, was going on, and I didn't tell her. And um, your your levels would get to a nice level, and then they'd start to drop off. And then it would be yeah. kind of like, well, when do I need to go back in and get pellets? When, you know, how is it going to be dosed? It's much easier to dose somebody on a weekly basis and, and adjust it than to try and uh, stagger when you're going to put the pellets in. Yeah, it makes sense. So it sounds like the edge does more than just procedural basis. Sometimes almost there's almost a psychological component as well. Do you do anything on the kind of the mental well-being of, of men and women? We don't focus a lot on that. And you know, it's not a field of expertise that I have. We certainly talk to that can be an issue that is contributing, but I don't offer a a program to deal with the psychological aspects. Interestingly enough, I, I got a call from somebody that we had been treating for ED with a procedure about six months ago. He had a pee shot and all of a sudden he was very stressed out, ang- very anxious, wasn't sleeping at night and was having problems with ED once again. And I wanted to know why his pee shot had failed. And and he's going through the natural course of, you know, the effects are going to dissipate over time. But more so, he was having psychological issues and wanted something for anxiety and things like that. And in a situation like that, I, I send them back to their primary caregiver or care provider because I'm not going to be their physician for all medical right. students. Now, when you started this, did you go back to rely on your business education that you gained in your six years you spent in the petrochemical business? Oh, yes. You know, I, I prepare an operating budget every year. I do a capital analysis on any piece of equipment that I'm going to purchase. I try and make a projection of how long it's going to take for that piece of equipment to pay for itself. Um, I look at equipment utilization. I look at how we utilize our people, what what kind of utilization rates we're getting on, on the people that we have. And we developed a compensation model where all of our providers, whether they're estheticians or nurses or whatever, are basically operating a business within a business. And so as their practice within the business grows, their compensation grows. And and the front desk is compensated in a way that as the center grows, they they their compensation is they, they get a bonus basically. And, right, uh, volume-based bonus. Yeah. So everybody in the center is working on some type of productivity to help grow the, the center. Right. How many people do you manage right now? How many people are, how many employees do you have? Right now we have 16. Wow. So we're in the process of hiring, uh, I think, three more. Three more. So what, to what do you describe your leadership style? Is this a, a mentor you had, books you read, school of hard knocks? Uh, there's always the school of hard knocks is always a component. There are mis- mistakes that are made along the way. Um, 
I myself have tried to stay out of the personnel end of things and have a a management person handle that so that I could stay focused on the clinical aspects of the business. But I've I've kept a, a strong hand in the financial aspects of the business. When we we put a new model in place about two years ago, and we'd been growing about 7% a year prior to that. Uh, this past year, we grew 47%. That model has really taken fruition. And we're, we feel like it's a reproducible model that as we bring a staff member on, that staff member is going to be able to take us to the next level. And each staff member that we bring on will be able to do that as well. Uh, we're running into issues of space and equipment utilization now. Some of our equipment is utilized at a very high rate such that you can't match a provider, a client, and the equipment up to availability. So do you think COVID helped or hurt you guys? Helped. Why uh, is that? I mean, it sounds like it did, and it helped businesses yeah. I have as well, but why? It doesn't seem like it, doesn't seem like it would. I think there's a few factors. Number one, people are looking in at themselves in Zoom meetings. So that's one aspect. And early on in COVID, that was a big one. Everybody, when we opened back up, they wanted their Botox or Dysport or whatever right away. A second element is that people's capital, what they can spend their money on, they're not traveling as much. Uh, they're not going out to restaurants as much. And so they're spending more of their money on themselves. Uh, I think this industry in general has had a real boon uh, as a result of COVID. How that's going to move going forward, you know, I'm not sure, but but there's been tremendous growth in the industry overall. Uh, I talked to other colleagues out there and and they're experiencing very rapid growth as well. Yeah, it's funny. I would, I'd ask other people this and they had the same answer as like people look at themselves in Zoom and go, I, I, I could look a lot better. And uh, yeah. they go in and make appointments. I, it's funny. I would never, never have thought of that was the initiation. Did you all, and I don't know how you would, but did you move into telemedicine consults as well? Yes, we do uh, two things. Uh, one, we'll do a Zoom consult like this. And the other thing we'll do is we'll do phone consultations. I don't like them as much because I think there's something to be said for a hands-on yep. evaluation of somebody. And I don't know that they're absorbing what's being said as well, but it's become a part of our everyday and, it, and it'll continue to be a part of our everyday, even as COVID dissipates someday. No, no, I agree. What do you think was the biggest take-home message you learned from, from first making the leap of faith and getting out of being a hospitalist and then number two, managing your business? What are the, if you have to give somebody, if you have to give a younger self some advice, what would, you, what would that advice be? I probably would have started my practice very differently knowing what I know today. I would have focused in on services that didn't require a lot of capital investment up front. So that's going to be your injectable products, some of the, the lasers that aren't as high end. And, you know, the personnel is always the hardest part, you yeah. know, hiring the right people and getting the right people into the right roles. I couldn't agree more. Okay, so last question, and this is a little bit off topic. Where do you see the aesthetic business going to? It seems like, it's, it's, at least from my naive, you know, done it long ago, it seems like it's moving more and more um, non-invasive. Where do you see it going? That's exactly what I see. The, the non-invasive body sculpting procedures are becoming better and better. 
I was actually out in your neck of the woods uh, doing some training on a couple of pieces of, it, of equipment. I, and I spoke to a, a plastic surgeon a couple of weeks before about that equipment. He said, you know, if people are using this type of equipment in their 30s, they may never get to that point where they need to have the facelift with me. And, wow. you know, it's the RF microneedling devices and energy-based devices that can tighten and lift. And, you know, so I see that that is going to be the trend is more and more non-invasive. And the treatments are getting more comfortable as well. The technology continues to advance to the point that we're getting effective treatments that are much more comfortable. My first RF needling devices were so uncomfortable, they just gathered dust, but now we're using them daily. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I got into this for weird reasons, but I used to have like a five o'clock shadow, like, you know, 10 a.m. And then I'm going to get laser hair removal that I went to this place and it literally, I felt like every shock was just like, and I think I have a high pain tolerance. I'm like, oh my God, this is, you know, an hour of this was painful. I'm like, okay, I can do this better. And which is what prompted me to get into it. So what's next for you? What's your, what's the next iteration of uh, Richard Moore? Okay. One, we're moving to a larger space, hopefully uh, towards the end of 2022. We want to incorporate a training institute within our practice such that we're training estheticians that are fresh out of aesthetic school into the the med spa industry, as well as nurse injectors, because we're finding it very difficult to find people today. And then we can be a resource to the community as well. I've met with physicians who have done this before or or are doing this, and I think it'd be a a boon for us. It's going to make us the elite practice in St. Louis. Uh, Another thing that we're toying with are, are some satellite centers further out and staying within the state of Missouri, but even branching out more rural. Bring to the patients. That's excellent. Well, Dr. Moore, if people want to find out more about you or want to go to your training center, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, probably the best way is to reach out to me at my email address, and it's drmore, M-O-O-R-E, at thelifestylecenter.com. Perfect. And I'll make sure we include all that and all the connections in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really informative. And I think people are going to you know, say, gosh, if, if he can do it and had a great career, maybe there's hope for me as well. So thank you for thank you for the inspiration. Okay. Good to talk to you. Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. Thanks for listening.